Hey, greetings, everybody. Welcome to the VVK Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Folly. Thanks so much for deciding to join us today. We really do appreciate it quite a bit. Well, today we're going to have a couple more conversations that are recorded at the recent Detroit Policy Conference that took place here in the city. We've got a couple of interesting conversations. Uh, one is going to be with Matt Elliott, who is the president of Bank of America, Michigan. We're going to talk a little bit about that corporation's philanthropic efforts here in the community, the impact that they're having. But we're also going to talk to Matt because he is the chair of this year's Mackinac Policy Conference. And if you know anything about the Mackinac Policy Conference, well, yesterday, February 1st, the day I'm recording this intro, was the day that the mad dash for hotel rooms begins on the island each and every year. So a lot of people are already thinking about what's going to happen up there. We'll talk to Matt. Also, the second conversation in today's program is going to be with Melanie Piana. She is the mayor of Ferndale. Now, obviously, what happens in the city of Detroit doesn't necessarily stay in the city of Detroit. So we'll talk about that relationship between suburb and city and how it's all coming together right now. That's all coming up on the VVK podcast. He is a proud supporter of Detroit Public Theater. And two of our owners, Peter Van Dyke and Jamie K. Walters, sit on their board. Don't miss Detroit Public Theater's next production, Peculiar Patriot, opening February 8th. Written and performed by the incomparable Liza Jesse Peterson, the Peculiar Patriot was inspired by her comprehensive and extensive work in prisons, including on Rikers Island. Peterson's tour de force solo piece is an important, funny, and profound investigative look into America's criminal justice system. Again, the Peculiar Patriot opens on February 8th. Go to www.detroitpublictheater.org to purchase tickets. Hey, greetings, everybody. Welcome to the VVK Podcast. My name is Craig Folly. Glad to have you with us today. We are doing interviews at the Detroit Policy Conference, of course, hosted by the Detroit Regional Chamber. This is sort of a smaller, more intimate version of the Mackinac Policy Conference, which we broadcast from each year as well. But joining me right now is Matt Elliott, who's the president of Bank of America for Michigan. He's also the chairman of this year's Mackinac Policy Conference, which will be held, of course, in late May, early June, up at the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island. Matt, welcome. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Great to see you, Craig. Thank you. Well, you know, we'll talk a little bit about that in just a second, but I do want to talk about Bank of America and some of the work you guys have been doing in the city of Detroit, especially you've been making some some news um, on the philanthropic front, really, here, and, and sort of really fine-tuning your philanthropic mission here in Southeast Michigan. Talk a little bit about sort of what goes through that process, how you decide some of the things that you do want to fund, and which ones are having the impact that you need to see, frankly, to justify those types of investments. That's a great question, Craig. I think it's probably a good place to start is to put how we think about philanthropy and everything that we do for the community in context. So, you know, as a firm, we really are strong believers that we can deliver for shareholders and help solve big challenges. And in fact, we have to deliver for our communities to be to grow sustainably over a long period of time. And that comports with our, our strategy, which we call responsible growth. So when we think about supporting the community, we really look through the lens of four pillars. Uh, one is health, uh, because, you know, you can't be healthy. If, you know, it, you have to be healthy first if you want to have a job. Uh, the, sext is, the second is jobs, and especially job reskilling and upskilling. You know, we have a very large bid ask, not only in Detroit, but in the country generally, between the skills employers need and a lot of skills that, that, um, that our, 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 our citizens have. The, the third is support for small business. That's especially important for wealth creation in communities of color like Detroit, because uh, communities of color tend to have a very large proportion of wealth uh, wrapped up in small business equity. And then the last is affordable housing. Uh, which is an issue all across the country and, and in particular here in, in the U.S. 
or in particular here in Detroit. So, you know, we, we are always engaged in philanthropy and we're always looking to try to find out what's the mission of the organization? Does it align with one of those four pillars? How do they execute? Do we know the, the people there? Do we have relationships there? And so last year, that amounted to us delivering about $3.2 million of philanthropy for the city of Detroit. I think more importantly than that, Craig, is the fact that we also had many programs that were not necessarily philanthropic decked against those four pillars. So one that we're really proud of is what we call the Community Affordable Loan Solution. It's a relatively new product. In fact, we're, we're piloting it here. And what it does is it helps somebody who's a first-time home buyer get into a home in a responsible, sustainable way with zero money down and very often without a credit score. And what's really interesting that what we found here in, in, in Detroit is that you know the, the payment uh, that, a, that one of our clients would have uh, for, their, for their mortgage is a lot lower than the rent they were paying before. Sure. So that is a win-win for them. It's a win for the city because it increases homeownership. And obviously it's a win for us because we win a client, hopefully for life. You know, I, that has been something, you know, you're talking about homeownership here, and that is one of the things that we have lamented losing, frankly, in the city of Detroit. We went for a long time to a city that was majority renter population. That seems as if that table has turned a little bit for the first time in about two decades almost uh, with some of the recent reports that we have seen here. What is needed to make sure that just getting somebody into a mortgage, getting them to be a homeownership, stays that way, right? Because, you know, we've had mortgage programs in the past that have been designed to do that, but they haven't necessarily fulfilled that promise. What have we learned about what makes that a successful program as opposed to just say, okay, I guess you qualify for a mortgage? That's a great question, uh, Craig. And I think the answer really lies in the fact that you're talking about a person, not a product. You know, that we're talking about a person who has uh, helped, just like these four pillars that we talked about, right? They have health needs, you know, health equity is a big issue uh, and, and access to health, especially in communities of color like Detroit. Uh, job opportunities and the ability to stay employed in a solid job that has some uh, staying power and is, and is stable. And that's all about jobs reskilling and upskilling in a lot of cases. Um, the small business piece is important because you know, can't rely necessarily on big companies. The, the employment and innovation engine of the economy in the U.S. generally, but in Michigan as well, is really starts with small business. And if you look at the, the neighborhoods in Detroit, for example, you see that loud and clear, right? So all these things work together in a holistic way to create a sustainable uh, uh, set of circumstances for not just our clients, but all of our citizens and, you know, and, and our friends and neighbors here in Detroit. Well, when you look at the ecosystem that's out there for small business creation and generation and support, you know, we're starting to see the emergence of organizations that do micro loans, for instance, to get very small businesses and fledgling businesses off the ground. There are now some sort of second stage funds that are available. And, and frankly, some of the venture capital money is finding its way to Detroit uh, after a long, long time. How are we doing to creating, again, that infrastructure we need so that those small businesses can indeed grow and flourish? Are, are we filling in those gaps? You know, Craig, we are making a lot of progress. Um, so when I think about small business, I think about an organization like Detroit Means Business, which we supported through the pandemic, which has kind of become a one-stop shop for resources for a small business owner here in Detroit. Um, you think about the, the fact that there are more capital solutions available. There are CDFIs out there, for example, that we are a big supportive of nationally. We have the largest CDFI loan portfolio in the country, as it turns out. And also, you said access to venture capital, which is the new thing that's coming not just to Michigan, but to Detroit specifically. 
And you know, we're, we've played a role in that too. We, we have, as part of our original $1.25 billion commitment uh, to supporting uh, economic mobility in communities of color, we peeled off a strip of a few hundred million dollars and started to make investments in venture funds that were founded uh, by women and people of color and that we're planning on making investments uh, in companies created by women and people of color. And we know that they tend to employ more people and women, uh, women and people of color. And what that does is create generational wealth yeah. at all three stages. What's even more interesting is when you talk to some of the folks who made those principal investments at our shop, they are thrilled with the quality of the opportunities, the quality of the deals, the quality of the investments, the quality of the companies that are in there. And so I'm really enthusiastic about what that could mean, not just for us nationally, but what we've got going here in Detroit. Well, and I want to ask you about the conference in just a second, but I do want to ask about what you're learning here in Detroit that maybe is going to filter up to Bank of America on a national level. I mean, it seems that this is like a real great laboratory for some of these investments. I told you about one. I told yeah. you about our, 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 our home solution. We've also been running a program to help um, people who are not currently users of the banking system get into the banking system. You know, there is a, a general mistrust on the part of large organizations, and we just, you know, we acknowledge that. Um, and what we've been doing is reaching out into the community and starting to educate with through partners, you know, what it takes to open a bank account, how to use it, and, and, and keep it simple and keep it transparent. Um, and what we have found is that that's, that's another way for someone to help themselves uh, be economically mobile. You know, it's important to have a bank account to be able to participate in the banking system. All right. Well, Matt Elliott is my guest again. He is the president of Bank of America for Michigan. Uh, he's been a guest on my program many times in the past. I always enjoy talking to him. But uh, you've got an interesting role this year. Chair of the uh, upcoming Mackinac Policy Conference. You know, this is a strange year here. And it's not necessarily saying it's bad, good, or anything. But it's going to be different. The legislature is looking completely different than it has in the past. Uh, there are a lot of competing priorities in Lansing. Uh, the business community has its own ideas on things that need to be improved. Talk a little bit about trying to plan for this and trying to anticipate what issues you think need to be touched on up there. That's a really great question, Craig. And you're right. There, this is an interesting policy moment and policy backdrop, especially with the economy you know, being what it is or, and what it might turn out to be later this year. And the way that we thought about it is, is the, the theme that we've gone with is what we call the power of and. A-N-D. And what we mean by that is, is that very often policymakers, people come at things with an either or uh, mindset. And what you really find is that if you want to solve a particularly tough challenge, very often you have to bring both sides or, or multiple points of view together. Uh, and that the initial conversation may be a little bit tricky, but overall you land in a better place. And so one of the ways to think about this that I've been thinking about lately is we want to help, help people shift away from maybe being right to getting it right. And as a state, that's what we want, we need to do. You know, we need to help solve big challenges like how do we, how do we create uh, a green future and, and, and decarbonize our economy at the same time growing it? And how do we use decarbonization and net zero as a tool to do it? How do we use diversity, equity, and inclusion as a human capital strategy to grow our population and to grow our workforce? Um, how do we make investments uh, that are really wise in the, in the institutions and areas that we need, like education infrastructure, but do so financially responsibly. So these are sticky questions, um, but frankly, they're fun questions. And if we come to the table in a way that maybe creates a little bit of tension at the outset, and we can start to have, you know, start conversations on the island that continue productively uh, for the days, weeks, months, years to come, that's to me, what, as the chair, that will be successful. You know, we're going to have a great lineup, but I really want these conversations to live 
beyond the island. Well, I have one last question for you, sir, and, and, and I'm going to start this out with a bit of a statement, but I think one of the things that Michigan's redistricting process revealed and the results of the elections revealed is that this state is pretty much split down the middle in a lot of ways. This is a very narrow majority for both for, for one party in both houses. Um, it almost seems as if this is a wake-up call that we actually do have to collaborate, that maybe the middle is where this stuff is going to happen. Is there an opportunity right now, in your mind, to actually accomplish some things in a more responsible way than we might with sort of an unrealistic picture of what that representation should be in the state? You know, I, I'm probably not a great spot for a banker to comment on politics. Yeah, no, That's no, not no, our no, job. I'm just saying that. But yeah, but 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 what did we learn? Yeah, I mean, I think I think from my point of view is that the the and answer is almost always more sustainable and more productive than an or answer. Okay, and so when I, when we think about like development, and a lot of people want to talk about inclusive or equitable development. Well, if you want to do development over a long period of time that's sustainable, it has to be equitable. Otherwise, it gets fixed, you know. And, and and so I think this is the opportunity that we have, not just at the conference, but as a state, Craig, yeah. is to bring together these multiple viewpoints in a way that says, okay, regardless of where we're coming from, here is a challenge that is good for us to solve as Michiganders, as Detroiters, as people. Let's solve it together. Well, I'm expecting a very thoughtful program up on Mackinac this year. We're looking forward to it. Matt Elliott, we always appreciate your time, sir. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thanks, Craig. All right. Matt Elliott, president of Bank of America for Michigan, joining us on the VVK podcast from the Detroit Policy Conference. VVK is a proud supporter of Detroit Public Theater, and two of our owners, Peter Van Dyke and Jamie K. Walters, sit on their board. Don't miss Detroit Public Theater's next production, Peculiar Patriot, opening February 8th. Written and performed by the incomparable Liza Jesse Peterson, The Peculiar Patriot was inspired by her comprehensive and extensive work in prisons, including on Rikers Island. Peterson's tour de force solo piece is an important, funny, and profound investigative look into America's criminal justice system. Go to www.detroitpublictheater.org to purchase tickets. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the VVK Podcast. My name is Craig Foley. This interview is being recorded at the Detroit Policy Conference, hosted by the Detroit Regional Chamber, an annual event here at the Motor City Casino and Hotel. But it's not just about Detroit. What happens in Detroit doesn't always just stay in Detroit. And having decent relations with your neighbors, especially your really close neighbors, is incredibly important. And should those neighbors have some sort of input as to what's going on in the city of Detroit. Because, again, there is that direct impact. I figured a great way to find out is to talk to a mayor of one of those communities. Melanie Piana is the mayor of Ferndale, my town right now, and is joining me on the program. Melanie, welcome. Thank you so much, and it's great to see you. It's been a few years. It it has been. Well, it's been a few years since I've seen anybody, so this is great uh, to do this in person today. But, you know, I I just said in the intro there... uh, You know, what happens in Detroit has a huge impact on on a community like Ferndale. You are a border community, an inner ring suburb. Um, Let's just start with this. How are you feeling right now about the trajectory of the city of Detroit and how it is impacting Ferndale? Just sort of a broad question to begin with. I feel really great about its direction. And I probably have a very different perspective than other mayors. Since I used to work for the Downtown Detroit Partnership and I help um, lead Jefferson East Inc., a Detroit neighborhood nonprofit, and I now work at the Detroit Regional Partnership. I always have been a regionalist, and I think broadly, and uh, as an urban planner, have always said 
um, like everybody else, the strength of Detroit is the strength of the region. And so I really tried to embody that, even though I'm the mayor of Ferndale and um, sometimes there's a, a competitive spirit when we try not to be. Um, and as we try to increase the, the populations of our communities and our business mixes and everything like that. But over the years, I've been on council now for 13 years, 10 as council and three as mayor. And just the growth in downtown uh, Detroit and what I'm seeing in the neighborhoods and the investment Detroit is doing, as well as you know changing their entire operations and hiring great talent um, to help deliver services in the city. And I think that's what uh, Detroit residents deserve is great city services like all the other residents in every other city. And um, we see that, um, I see that in the neighborhoods when I go to them. You know, one of the things that I've been impressed with, frankly, and like I said, I also worked for the city of Detroit for right. a while in some capacities, and, and I have clients right now that are working on the Strategic Neighborhood Fund, yep. doing streetscapes. I look at the transformation of Livernois over the last five years or so. Businesses moving in. Uh, you've got a thriving business corridor now that is attracting a lot of people, and, and, and for the right reasons, right? That is right on your doorstep. Um, how is that impacting the way people think about Ferndale as a place to live, and and as you know, and does that encourage sort of cross-border uh, communication between you know people who live in neighborhoods on either side of Eight Mile? Well, that has been a huge focus of mine as an elected official in the city of Ferndale. And literally, it was my neighborhood. I lived at Farmdale and Fielding, just one block north of 8 Mile, for 12 years. And, you know, I used to go jogging um, between the neighborhoods because um, you really get to know what's going on. And I've always said Livernois was the great investment area to really connect both neighborhoods um, of Green Acres and um, the Dales, uh, sure. what we call them over there I in the Ferndale, the right? I, I'm in the I Dales. lived in the Dales, too. And so the city started really focusing on our um, master plan and connecting and saying, we need to make these investments. And when we got a grant to put Livernois on a road diet, you know, a lane reduction and put bike lanes, um, Detroit was putting, um, they're planning to put theirs on, a, you know, a street improvement project. And we just started working with their planning staff, with our planning staff. And that's when um, the magic started to happen. And Detroit really helped change um, the intersection, and they were the ones who sort of put the paint, um, the bike lanes across the intersection with um, part of their grant funds. And so we really have a, a great partnership. And then during the pandemic, uh, I really worked with former city council member um, Roy McAllister on addressing the um, challenging and difficult homeless issues at the Eight Mile Woodward Bridge. And I will tell you that is a very complicated um, well, project and, and because emotional. it's an emotional, but from a operational standpoint, it is two cities, two counties, um, uh, two deplete police departments, two Department of Public Works departments, you know, and so a lot of different stakeholders, and I help bring together a coalition of uh, these leaders to talk about how do we start addressing this in a new way so that uh, there's a compassionate approach to the individuals under the bridge and that we find um, some services where we can support them. And the big difference between Detroit and Ferndale is Detroit's big enough to have a health department and yeah. homeless expertise, whereas Ferndale does not have a health department and we did not have homeless expertise. And I think this is where the partnership really helped blossom is where the city uh, helped pay for the art underneath the bridge 
and we really came up with a way to maintain um, the cleanliness, which was a huge concern for the residents and neighborhoods around there, but also make sure that we partner with the appropriate nonprofits to get the individuals the services, the wraparound services that they need. Melanie Piana, my guest right now, of course, mayor of Ferndale, and as she mentioned earlier on, she's had a number of roles in public policy over the years. Um, you know, Ferndale's in a unique place. Like, as we say, it's the center of everything, right? It really is the middle of Metro Detroit in so many ways. So any changes you make in Ferndale have a ripple effect to communities that are just further up the chain along Woodward or down Woodward. You are undertaking a pretty bold project right now to reinvent Woodward Avenue mm-hmm. in downtown Ferndale. Slow things down just a little bit. Make it more pedestrian-friendly, bike-friendly. Uh, frankly, and I think it'll have an, a positive impact on the businesses in the neighborhood. This does not come without very, very strong opinions for and against. Are you surprised at all, one, at the uh, sort of sometimes you know, snap reaction that people have to these things that you want to do? Um, and is it difficult to navigate as a mayor more than you perhaps thought it might be? Well, the I call it the arc of change because we have been collecting information and feedback from businesses and residents for over a decade about the safety concerns about Woodward. From the complete streets plan of 2014, the Woodward alternative analysis, which looked at bus rapid transit, all of that collected information Um, about how difficult it was to cross the street or bike it or feel safe or get access to transit to the stops. So when the repaving project was introduced by MDOT in 2018, where it's like, hang on, you're going to repave? Let's see how we can put down some short-term safety improvements. And short-term is literally five to ten years because it's a repaving project, not a reconstruction project. And so going into this, Um, felt that we really had the data to prove that change was possible and that delivering on residents' requests and business owners over the years was possible. We may not be able to give them everything that they wanted. The number one need is wider sidewalks on Woodward, but that is a reconstruction project, not a repaving project. And so um, I'm working on that too behind the scenes of laying the the groundwork um, to make sure we can get there. Um, As a coalition of cities, not just Ferndale, because a lot of the city's leaders across uh, from Ferndale to Pontiac want want wider sidewalks. And so that's what I'm working on and coordinating with um, the other mayors um, and city managers of those cities. And you also need state cooperation. And you need state cooperation. But honestly, um, the Southeast Michigan Council of Governments, or SEMCOG, has been a tremendous partner in supporting not only me and the city of Ferndale's vision, but also, you know, working with MDOT, which has changed its direction. Just them approving this project um, signals a change at the Department of Transportation for for Michigan. We're an, it's an eight-lane highway that bisects our downtown as well as Birmingham, and with the uh, loop around the city of Pontiac being removed and the transit-only lanes in Detroit. So now you have Detroit, Ferndale. Um, Birmingham just got a new crosswalk, and the endpoint of the 26 miles in Pontiac change is happening. So there's four major projects kind of going on and shifting, and I think ours is the biggest one um, to say, hey, we're going to take a lane out. And the real purpose is just to get the traffic to drive 
the posted speed limit, which is 35 miles per hour. But the design... Oh, no, it, everybody thinks it's 55. It's not. But the design of Woodward in Ferndale and Pleasant Ridge is designed to go fast. It is not designed to go 35. And so how do you change the, the, the street makeup so that everybody, the human behavior of drivers, people walking and people bicycling, can do the, you know, do the safest thing and we don't blame drivers or people walking or pedestrians or bicyclists for being in their appropriate lane of travel. And I think that's what we're trying to get to. And I'm so excited by this. We have more construction barrels to come starting back up in March all the way through October. But I think we're a small, mighty city that had sort of like an A-team in place to work with MDOT and SUNCOG to get this done. And I'm really excited um, to do this. And the other cities up Woodward are asking, how did you do this? And I'm like, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. Um, well, a and lot a, of advocacy on my part as mayor as well. And a political, political risk, let's be honest. Well, I will tell you in Ferndale, the number one people say to me is like, uh, there's a lot of people that don't support this project. I'm like, well, there's a lot of small group of people who are very loud who don't like it and may not there's a group of people who don't like it and don't support it. And then there's a group of people who are like, I'm not so sure, I need to wait and see. Um, but a majority of people will tell me privately how grateful they are that it's getting done. So I feel very confident a majority of the uh, folks in Ferndale and Pleasant Ridge support this. And because they tell me, I have great conversations with people. And a lot of the new people coming into Ferndale who are moving our, our you know, median age in Ferndale is 35, and they absolutely tell me that they moved here because of our bike lanes. Um, so they can see their children being safe and getting around their own community and their own neighborhoods, and that's what matters. All right, Melanie Piana, we always appreciate your time. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much. Hey, we certainly appreciate everybody deciding to take a little time to join us today. Don't forget, if you'd like to comment on this, feel free to send me an email. It's just craig at vvkagency.com. You can also, you know, just tell me what you think about it. Tell me what you'd like me to do. If you like this podcast, hey, tell your friends about it. Share it. Like it on social media. All that good stuff. Subscribe to it. It all helps. Not that we're trying to, you know, make anything huge out of this. We're doing this because we can and, and because we like it. That's really what this is about and trying to have some good conversations and maybe learn a little something about the community in which we all share. So that's why we do this. Thanks so much for checking it out today. Again, Craig at VVKAgency.com. If you want to reach out to talk to me about something, always happy to give it a listen and uh, take your suggestions. Have a wonderful time. We'll see you again soon.